This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Last week, helping Pastor Gordon with the building, doing some remodel, fixing it up, and uh, they changed all these lights. I know you don't notice it, but if you were here while well, in the process, uh, this building's so much brighter and whiter. And uh, when they turn on the lights, uh, suddenly uh, Pastor Gordon couldn't see me no more. <laughs> so he said to me this morning, "I see you're wearing black, so I can see you. Come on, somebody." <laughs> Anyway, I, uh, I cut off my thumb, if you're wondering. What? Oh, I'm supposed to give you an announcement. Scoot in. So uh, scoot into the center, if you could all move in so they could fill the sides. So that's your responsibility. I can't scoot. I could scoot you if you want me to. Everybody move to the center aisle, please. Everybody scoot in. So you can get the edges. Okay, thanks. So I cut off the tip of my thumb the other day on Friday, and um, uh, you know I was working in the house and and uh, where the table saw, and I I don't know what happened. You know, my eyes were open. I know that because I saw my thumb go. Uh, So I know I, but it's like so I jammed my thumb into my shirt because I know. And then I, I was going to the, through the garage, and I, I told my wife, I, I said, honey, get me something. I cut my thumb. I said, you know, I'm trying to freak her out, you know, because it, it looked pretty blunted. And uh, she goes, oh, I wanted to get a manicure. <laughs> anyway. So Roman asked me a question the other day in the office. He said, uh, he said uh, I always wondered if that hurt. I thought to myself, you know, that's a very interesting question. Because I always wondered if it hurt, too. <laughs> if you work with wood a lot, you always wonder, man, what would it feel like to cut off one of your fingers? And so, uh, I know, it doesn't really hurt that bad, actually. It's about the, about the equivalent of hitting your thumb with a hammer. That's about what it feels like. No big deal, right? <laughs> so anyway, I'm, I was sometime back, I was... You know, you never know if you're going to preach in conference, but you always prepare yourself to preach in conference. And so I was contemplating what to preach, and uh, I had crossed a trail in life that left me wondering. And so I needed to call Pastor Mitchell and ask him a question because uh, something was very bothering me, troubling me very, very deeply. And 
So, you know, you got two Pastor Mitchells to call, Pastor Greg, Pastor Wayman. It's a, who do you call? You know, it's like, I wanted to call them both, but I didn't want to, I didn't, you know, at the same time, I didn't really want to hear from them both because the question I wanted to ask was, it was tough. So I called Pastor Greg Mitchell and I asked him, I, I says, I, I says, you got a minute, I need to ask you a question. He says, yeah, I got, I got some time. And I said to him, why don't I preach in Prescott Conference? That ain't no joke, man. I mean, I said it with all seriousness. I said, I said, why don't I preach in Prescott Conference? I've been saved for 32 years of the 43 years of the fellowship's history. And why don't I, you know, what do I need to do to qualify to preach in conference? Now, I don't know how you feel about that, but maybe you would never ask that question. So I asked Pastor Greg straight out, why don't I preach? And you know what the word incredulous means? It's like shock, surprise of unbelief. It's like, it's all, it wasn't like, how dare you? But he, you know, this, this, I remember his response. He says, why would you? You have to be a leader. You know, that hurt more than cutting my thumb off. <laughs> it's like, okay, but you stop. Now, that's why I didn't call his dad, because, man, you know, I figured if, 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 if the son was going to give me much grief, you know, I didn't want to hear from Pastor Mitchell. <laughs> but, you know, if sometimes if you're going to get the truth, if you really, I don't know, if anybody here want to preach in Prescott Conference? None of you? That's why I'm preaching this sermon, because if you don't want to preach in Prescott Conference, there's something wrong with you. Especially if you're a pastor, if you're a disciple, if you're a pa- especially if you're a pastor this morning. So I'm preaching a sermon, what qualifies you? My sermon title is, Why Don't I Preach in Prescott Conference? <laughs> so I, I asked Pastor Greg, I said, what, what would qualify me to preach in Prescott Conference? So let me, I want to lay a little groundwork before we get to our text. There are three kind of leaders in our churches. There's group three, group two, and group one. Group three is what we call disciples. There are men within the church that are kind of leaders of their peer group or of their, you know, contemporaries, the young men of the church. And we believe in discipleship. Discipleship is the power of the church. It's our future. And so, you know, if you're here this morning and you're not a disciple, you need to get on board and become a disciple. You need to be a group three and tonight and tomorrow night are what really defines us as a fellowship. We are going to launch churches into the world and into cities around the country, amen. And these are, these are leaders of church. We call them pastors, of course. And then we have leaders of leaders, which are church planning pastors. This is level one. Now, these three levels of leadership in our fellowship uh, what you need to do, or what the goal of my sermon is, you have to shoot for group. You have to be a group oneer, Because we believe in the discipleship process in any given church. We discover the men who are willing or who are called. You know, we preach the vision. All you have to do is go home on Sunday and preach the vision. You're all stirred up. And watch what disciples in your church light up. And those are the men you have to begin to work with. You have to begin to work with those guys. And begin to pour into their lives the things that they need. Disciples must be made. 
the Bible says, and we have to give ourselves to that. Then when you launch these men into the harvest field, you know they're either going to go out, they're going to become pioneers uh, uh, you know, in a new city, or they're going to take over a church possibly. And then the process begins all over. That man and his wife, that man especially, he has to take his vision, he has to take what he's learned as a disciple uh, and begin to recreate what he learned in his mother church and make his own disciples and teach his own men the things of God and begin to raise them up to send them out someday. So how do we define success? Because remember, there are three levels of leadership. Disciples, and sometimes you feel pretty good when you consider yourself a disciple. And then there's pastors, and then there's church planners. Now what inspired me to this sermon, I was sitting around with a fellow pastor, friend of mine, some time back, uh, and uh, he had a need in his church, and he was there, and it's not like he was really asking me. We were just kind of musing the, the need, you know. And uh, he was looking for a man to fill the gap. And he was having a hard time. That's what bothered me. That's what stirred me to call Pastor Mitchell is, how is it that pastors fail once they become pastors? How could, how could it be that uh, this man uh, uh, couldn't find a man among his men to fill a position that needed leadership? Because he had plenty of pastors on the field, but there wasn't a man that was qualified. And that really bothered me because I'm thinking, where am I? That's why I called Pastor Greg to answer, ask the question. I took the pain for you. Come on, somebody. <laughs> to find out why am I failing you? Or why am I feeling the vision? Or how is it that my life could come short of the glory of God? What do I need to do to be better so that if you need a man to stand in the gap, I'm there. So as I was there and, you know, just listening to this man speak, you know, I, it reminded me of Psalm 73. You know, when I thought on this, it was too painful for me. And so I got, I got inspired, you know. I began to wonder why group three people... You know, we can make it out of group three into group two, but we don't really make it out of group two into group one very often. And so let's read our text. Second Samuel eight, twenty-three, or twenty-three eight, excuse me. He says, These be the names of the mighty men whom David had among let me get my pick my Bible up here. The Tekelmite that sat in the seat chief among the captains, the same as Adon, Adonai, the Ezanite, he lifted up a spear against 800 whom he slew in one time. And after him was Eliezer, the son of Dodo, a Hoatite, one of the three mighty men with David. When they uh, defied the Philistines that were gathered together to battle and the men of Israel were gone away, he arose and smote the Philistines until... His hand was weary, and his hand clave into his sword. And the Lord wrought a great victory that day, and the people returned after him only to spoil. And after him was Shamna, the son of Agi, uh, the Heretite. Uh, and the Philistines were gathered together into a troop, and there was a piece of ground full of lentils, and the people fled from the Philistines. And he stood in the midst of the ground and defended it and slew the Philistines, and the Lord wrought a great victory. And the three of the, uh, the, three of the 30 chief went down, and came to David in the harvest time in the cave of Adullam, and the troop of the Philistines pitched in the valley of Rephidim, and David was then in the hold of the garrison of the Philistines. 
was in Bethlehem. And David longed and said, Oh, that one would give me a drink of the water of the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gates. And the three mighty men break through the host of the Philistines and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem and that was by the gate and took it and brought it, brought it to David. Nevertheless, he would not drink thereof, but poured it out unto the Lord. And he said, Be far from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Is this not the blood of the men that went in jeopardy of their lives? Therefore, uh, he would not drink it. These things did these three mighty men. And Abishai, the son of Joab, the son of Zariah, uh, was chief among the three. And he lifted up a spear against 300 and slew them. And he had a name among the three, and he was, he was, most, he was not most honorable of the three. Therefore, was he not most honorable of the three? Therefore, he was their captain, howbeit he attained not unto the first three. Benaniah, the son of Jehoiada, the son of, uh, of a valiant man of Kabziel, uh, was, had done many acts. He slew two lion-like men of Moab, and he went down into a, and slew a lion in the midst of a pit, in, in, in the midst of a pit in a time of snow, and he slew an Egyptian, a goodly man. And the Egyptian had a spear in his hand. He went down with him with a staff and plucked a spear out of the Egyptian's hand and slew him with his own spear. These things did Benaniah, the son of Jehoiada, and had a name among the three mighty. He was more honorable than the 30, but he attained not to the first three, and David set him over his guard. Amen. Uh, so I want to preach from this text this morning. Amen. So when success becomes our enemy, from our text we read these three essential groups of David. He had three, the mightiest, he had the next three, and then he had everybody else. And so in this text, of course, it's a side-by-side comparison. So as I was talking to Pastor Greg, and after he realized uh, uh, the, the point of my question, and what I was really asking, I really wasn't asking for a position on the brochure as much as I was wondering what in the world, uh, what, what causes us to fail. One of the first things he really illuminated to me was that, you know, there is position at the top. Don't think at any point of, uh, of our fellowship development that there's only a certain select few that will ever preach at Preston Conference. It's not true. It's a wide open field that any man can enter into, just like in this text. Uh, as you read through the lives of these men, you would think, you know, that David had his favorites, uh, and he was playing to his favorites, and, you know, there was this little private group, uh, you know, and you had to do certain things. It wasn't that at all. And that's not the way it is in our fellowship either, Amen. But you have to attain unto the first three. And so as you read this text, the way it is written here, you can conclude as they speak of the group two people that they could have, howbeit they attained not unto that of the first three. In other words, uh, there was an open door. They could have gone there if they wanted to, but they didn't. I think what hurt these men was their success. I think what happens with some of us as, as pastors is we get content to, just with that title. We just, we're glad to be a pastor, we, and our vision kind of, it fails us there, or it settles us there, or we don't move any further from there. We have our congregation, whatever, however big or small it is, and we're just content just to be that man, just to have our church and have a semblance of success. So I'm wondering if their success had hurt them. I'm reading this uh, history. It's called Ridpath's History of the World, written in 1894 by this man named John Ridpath. 
and it's a series of books, and it's, uh, it's very extensive into all the great civilizations that ever lived on the face of the earth, and this man uses uh, history, archaeology, uh, the Bible. He uses all kinds of writings to, to bring about his, uh, his text. And so in this, uh, he's talking about the Persian Empire, and I discovered a very interesting insight into ancient cultural mindset. And it came in this way, it came in the idea of killing lions. And what he says in his book, he says the Persian kings were very enthusiastic about, about uh, you know, uh, hunting, and they, were, they prided themselves or distinguished themselves in the chase. And so for a king to go against any animal, if he was going to hunt anything, he wanted to hunt the king of the jungle or the king of all the animal world. Uh, they saw them there also back as we do today as the most fierce beast on the face of the earth. And so it was king against king. That's what they were saying. That's the way in their mind uh, they saw it. And so when a king was successful in battle, uh, what they did, once a king became victorious over a lion, it was an act worthy of engraving into stone into the royal signet with which the edicts of authority were signed. When I read that, I, it really stopped me, arrested my thinking. And so now we have an understanding of the mindset of these biblical characters. So to kill a lion was worthy of a king, or it was what kings did. It was the business of kings. So think of this now. Uh, as you read throughout the scripture, when David presents himself before Saul and said, I've fought the lion and I've fought the bear, uh, he says, I've killed both lion and bear. Uh, how this must have played upon the ears of Saul, uh, a king himself, and how this young boy killed the lion. Now here's this man, Benaniah, who killed two men, lion-like men, uh, but also went down in a, in a snowy pit uh, and fought, another, fought a real lion and killed that lion. It was noteworthy. But you know what happens to us sometimes, brothers, is that we have a degree of success. And because we can put success on our resume of, of, of Christianity, because we can stand and testify, and I'm not condemning your testimony. Please don't misunderstand me. Uh, but you know, there's something beyond success. Don't let uh, uh, one success uh, hinder you from the future of what God has for you. Don't think that, you know, I, I've arrived now. I've got my pastoral place in, in ministry. And I don't have to go any further. My personal feeling of the matter is, you know, getting sent out isn't the end of a thing. It's a beginning. But we think so many times, you know, I've graduated from the class of disciples. And that's good. We're glad you, you, you did that. We're, we're proud of you and we're, we're, we're happy to send you out. To, but you're not, it's, it's, you're beginning a whole new world. And even after you begin to build a church, your focal point then must really become what tonight and tomorrow night is all about. You must build a congregation. You must build men. You must build a church. You must build your pillars. You must build your whole church uh, with a single focus in mind, uh, and that's to reach the world through, uh, for Jesus Christ, to preach the gospel in all the world. Amen. To raise up disciples and to send them out uh, and to bring the word of God to pass, amen. So I want to talk secondly about being risk managers. So once Pastor Greg Mitchell understood the reason for my call, because I did have him a little bit of emotional. <laughs> he thought I was a disgruntled employee ready to go postal. <laughs> I won't tell you everything you said because that's personal. 
I got my pride to think about, folks. Come on, somebody. <laughs> you know, the fear of risk. You know, why don't we launch our disciples? Because the problem with launching men, it's risky. You never know what's going to happen. You know, you know, we launch with the idea, you know, Friday night is very successful. I mean, it's a promise of the future. Uh, there's a lot of hope in it. But, you know, sometimes they don't get off the ground. They, they kind of, you know, they, it just doesn't work out the way we thought. And so what happens is we fear from moving from group two to group one. And here's where my, I, I think the conversation with Pastor Mitchell really took an unexpected turn because I didn't really think, you know, I thought, you know, why don't I preach in Prescott conferences? Like, what, what do you have to say? You know, like, right? Do you have any revelation? Could you send us a demo tape of a sermon you've preached recently, you know? I mean, what's your delivery like? I mean, I, you know, can you hold the crowd? Can you keep the crowd? You know, you, you, know, you think it's all those things. Uh, but, it, you know, it wasn't any of those things. It wasn't like he was worried about my ability to preach or, you know, my depth of revelation uh, or inspiration. It wasn't, it wasn't, none of those answers were there. Or none of those, that was none of the answers to my question. It was all about this right here. He said, you have to be a leader of leaders. Qualification for ministry or for leadership is this church planting is what it's all about. Because in church planting, you know, there's that initial investment of discipleship. Now, you know, like I said, disciples have to be made. The problem with uh, disciples is that they take time and energy, don't they? You have to pour your life into their life. You have to be an example of, their, of, of what you want them to be. You have to have a lot of faith and you have to endure a lot of frustration. Because disciples will, you know, it's like sometimes they're very good and sometimes they're very bad. Sometimes, you know, like, like they're, it's like, my word, bro, it's like you could send them out tomorrow and it's like the next day you wouldn't send them out in a thousand years. It's like, you know, don't you listen to what we're trying to teach? Can't you catch the vision, you know? And I understand uh, that, you know, there's a lot of self-education uh, and discipleship. But there's a lot in our generation, you know, it's a different man. And, uh, you know, you have to learn to believe in them and teach them so much. But you have to make disciples. And then you have to take the risk. The risk imposed upon your church for sending out your best. We don't like sending out our best men because it's going to cost us something. It's going to cost us, you know, the guy who knows everything, the guy, you know, who can function without, uh, you know, you hovering over them. Uh, you know, he, he understands the vision. And so this man, you know, you're, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna send him into the world. Of sinking or swimming, you know, there's a lot. Who knows of God, what God will do, you know? Who knows what God will do when you send a guy out? But then there's a lot of who knows what he will do when you send him out too, amen? You never know what that guy might do out there, amen? Because men fail. I had a guy quit in the ministry. He called me up and said, Pastor, I quit, I'm done. It's like, what? You can't quit. Dude, you're a pastor in the church. He said, no, I quit. Don't you understand? I quit. What do you mean you quit? They fail you. Sometimes we have moral failures, you know, it's just like that's the way it is. 
you were in conference a couple years ago, Pastor Campbell stood up and preached a sermon a year from hell. And that was because in that one year, he redirected 10 men in one year. He's, he's bringing home more men than he's sending out. It's like, come on. That stuff frustrates you. And it begins to work in you something. What Pastor Greg was telling me, you know, he says the development of a pastor is learned in working with men on the field. He says they'll teach you things that you wouldn't otherwise learn. Because you have to come to grips with issues that you wouldn't otherwise come to grips with. Remember Jesus Christ, he said, how long must I suffer you? That's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Not because that's the way I feel, but I do feel that way sometimes. But I think I make the Lord feel that way. You know, it's like, you know, Jesus is like... And he says, how long must I suffer you? It was in his relationship with his men that those men, his disciples, then he entered situations that he... If the Lord had been left to himself, he would have never had those problems. And we, and we know that Hebrews 5.8, and he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. You know, your men are our disciples or our pastors. They'll force us into situations that we would never otherwise enter into. And they'll make you stress, if I can put it that way. They'll put you through things that you have to deal with. The very men you sent out, the very men that you entrusted thousands of dollars to to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. These are those men, amen. And their struggles of faith. You gotta, you gotta admit sometimes you wonder if they learned anything. It's like, I, you know, is that what we did over here? You know, no, no, we didn't do it like that, did we? We did it like Prescott, or we did it like San Antonio. We did it like our mother church. We try and follow the pattern of life. And wisdom, you know, you wonder if they have an ounce of wisdom. You begin to pray for them, you know. You know, Lord, if they lack wisdom. And it's like, God help us. The failings and the successes of life, you have to learn to manage both ends, you know, because sometimes you send out disciples uh, and they become very successful very suddenly. And, you know, that in itself is a managerial problem because, you know, success is a dangerous place for any of us to be, amen. But it's in the atmosphere of church planning. It's a classroom in which pastors develop into leaders of leaders. And you'll only become a Pastor Mitchell when you start launching churches. You only become a Pastor Ruby. Pastor Ruby probably has learned more from you than he's probably taught you. I, I, maybe I'm making a, a big stretch there. But we learn from our men. We learn from their mistakes. We learn, they teach us, they push us in places. And so we have this element of risk. We don't know what's going to come. We don't know what's going to happen. And there's the cost aspect of it. You know, when you begin to launch churches, you begin to realize how much it costs. You know, it's not a few bucks. You know, it's not one offering. It's an ongoing, continuous thing. It's something, once you become a mother, you never stop being a mother. I've learned that over the years. Uh, and they always look at you as a mother, and they get into trouble, and they call, Mommy, Mommy, save me, save me, save me. Could you send me money? As a matter of fact, I can't send you no money because I don't have it. I gave it to your other brother. <laughs> 
As a matter of fact, you're about five minutes too late. I already mailed a check. <laughs> you're going to have to believe God, brother. It costs us something. And you're working with, you know, you're working with cost, you're working with risk, you're working with faith. Yeah. Then you have to decide, you know, you know, it's like, you know, who's the best man for the position. Uh, you know, it's all these things you're dealing with. You're learning to trust God, go to God in prayer. Uh, like Jesus, when he chose his 12 disciples, uh, you know, he didn't just, you know, you know, eeny, meeny, miny, mo. He went before God, prayed all night long. Because the selection of men is very important, and he, those, that, that process forced Jesus into something uh, that otherwise he would have never had to do. And we have to become financial managers. I'm telling you, one of the, you know, beyond the cost, there is this huge reality is you have to learn to manage money. Listen to me. Start today in your personal finances, in your church. You have to learn to manage because it's going to cost you. Trust me, it will cost you. You know what my prayer is for all the guys I ever send out is that someday they would become church planning churches. Because then they'll know what they put me through. <laughs> it's funny, but it's true. Listen to me, it's like, you know, it's easy to call and ask for money. Or it's easy, you know, it's easy, you know, it's, it's, it's one thing when you go out and make huge mistakes and you want, want someone to bail you out, or, you know, it's just like, but you learn these things. And, you know, it's a, the reality, what I'm saying is, you know, I've learned more by launching churches about people and dealing with men, uh, and, 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 you know, it just, it's changed me on the inside. And so we have to be focused here. And what you get, or what you gain, I think, I guess, the, I was just having a conversation with a guy in the area over there, called me up the other day, and, and uh, he was asking me questions, you know, and I was wondering why he didn't call his own pastor, but I didn't ask him that question. But he was just dealing with buildings and situations and stuff, and I was, you know, I, all of a sudden, all these things just started flowing out of me, and I, actually, I stood back and said, look, I never knew I knew all that stuff. And you don't realize what you've learned. You learn it because you've done it. You're helping other men. And as you begin to teach and help other people, it becomes a part of you. Wisdom is forged into a man's life as you labor with your brethren. Amen. And how you respond to crisis in personal situations and how you deal with things. Wisdom is seen by the choices that we make in life. You know, how are we choosing? What choices do we make? How we handle those crises. You know, the poem, If, uh, by Rudyard Kipling, he says, if you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you. That is, that happens sometimes in the ministry. It's your fault, Pastor. Really, it, it's not my fault. Don't blame me. But that's what they want to do. And so how do you deal with that uh, when, when people want to blame you for whatever's going on in their life or their inconsistencies or why I don't have no revival and everybody else doesn't have no revival? It's because you sent me out. It's, you didn't give me this or you didn't give me that. And then dealing with those men so that you don't lose them. Because, you know, you're going to have your denials. You're going to have your betrayals. You're going to have your doubters. You're going to have your people that are discouraged. 
So how do you handle crisis? You know, the problem is, is that you learn in crisis. It's like the other day uh, when I cut my thumb off, you know, it's like, this is a crisis moment, right? Your thumb's off, you know? <laughs> and so what are you going to do, you know? I stuck it in my shirt, and uh, then we went to the hospital, and, and, and lo and behold. But I read that book, Survivor's Club. You know, I want to read an interesting book. That book is probably one of the most interesting books I've ever read. In challenging your own psychology, your own emotions. Because how will you respond when something happens? You will never know. It's like you don't really know yourself until you're in a situation like that. I remember one time we were young uh, high school kids. Me and my buddy were out hunting pheasants on posted land. You weren't supposed to be on it. And so we looked up, we saw the farmer. His, his house was right up there. He got in his truck and we knew he was after us. And we had crossed this creek. It's probably about as wide as the platform here. Uh, to get onto his property, and so we were very careful going over it because it was frozen over. And so on the way back, you know, any creek, don't ever walk on it because it doesn't matter how wide it is. If it's flowing water, it's thin in places. And so when he was coming after us, we didn't care. We didn't stop to look at the ice. We scooted across it, and about halfway through, we broke through. And I remember my shotgun slid right out to the edge of the bank, and I said to myself, at least my shotgun made it. That's like crisis, man. What are you going to do when, you know, when your disciple falls through the ice? And you're, you're there, you know, you're going to let him freeze to death. Are you going to pull these guys out? See, it's in church planning that it'll test your heart. It'll test your resolve because you put so much in discipleship into him. Then you put so much money into him. You put so much into him. You're giving him all the wisdom. You send him all the teams and all those things. All that works itself into you, and suddenly it changes you. Sometimes I got to admit, sometimes I look back and say, maybe next time I, I launch a guy, I'm going to add a little bit more of this or a little bit more of that. They need a little more pinch of salt or they need a little more sugar or whatever. The batter don't quite taste right. See, I think what made David's mightiest men mighty is because they entered into another man's vision. John Rooney, he's the broadcaster of the St. Louis Cardinals who are going to win the World Series. Don't listen to Pastor Ruby. I hope the A's win tonight because I love the Oakland A's, but uh, in the end, we want the Cardinals win. Come on, somebody! Andy Anderson... Did you hear that? You heard. <laughs> it's a story he likes to tell uh, when he's on when he's broadcasting. I've heard him tell it more than once, so you know he likes to tell it. Amen. What minor league managers do in baseball is they will put their team on a bus and they'll drive them right past Bush Stadium, is where the St. Louis Cardinals play. And as they're passing the stadium, the manager will point out the window and say, boys, you see that building? He says, take a good look at it. Take a good look at the outside, because most of you will never see the inside. Do <laughs> you know why managers do that to these guys? They say, listen, you'll never play in that stadium. It's like if I said to you, most of you guys will never preach in Prescott Conference. Boys, when you go to conference this summer or this winter, or you get that brochure in the mail, don't look for your name. <laughs> It'll probably never be on that conference. I, actually, every time I open the brochure, I look for my name. <laughs> you may laugh, but it's not me, see. I'm not like you. 
I am working, I am laboring to put my name on that brochure list. That is the, not because it's a goal of my pride, but it's, I think if I could become a man worthy, it's not about me, it's about, we need more men like Pastor Richard Ruby. Right? Do you think the world can't handle a few more, you know, Glenn Clucks? Or Pastor Greg Mitchell or Pastor Wayman Mitchells? Well, maybe not Pastor Wayman Mitchell, but. But you know, on other leadership church planning centers like the, the San Antonio Church, you know, I, I, you know he was, what he told me, Pastor, he said, you know, Pastor Ray Ruby just went, he just went conference. You know, here's this small little church, you know, in, in, in Las Vegas, New Mexico, has launched 25 churches out of that little place. It's not, a very, it's not a very big place, but, you know, they just had their first conference in September last month, uh, and he said they, they just went conference. That, listen to me, brother. You know, when I was a disciple, I saved every conference brochure, and I was going to bring them, and then I cut off my thumb, and I forgot them. Amen. <laughs> I have every conference brochure from, from the Yuma Church. Do you know why I saved them? Because someday I figured I, I was going to need learn how to, you know, to put a conference brochure together. I did that as a disciple. If your mindset is not there. See, what these men did is David said, oh, if I could have a drink from the well of Bethlehem. And these men entered into his vision for the future. Listen, Pastor Mitchell's going to be here tonight. And he's going to, he's going to, I don't, who knows what he's going to say. But in his life is a vision for the world. You wonder what's wrong with our world? I'll tell you what's wrong with our world is the church. What's wrong with this country, what's wrong with our culture is because the church has embraced the culture instead of the, the church standing against the culture. What makes us unique is we refuse to embrace our culture. We preach against the culture. I'll tell you what this world needs uh, is preachers like you uh, who will go into their city and stand against the Austin weirdness and be normal. Amen. Yeah. You know, Pastor, Pastor Greg Mitchell was telling me that he had just come back from the South Africa Bible Conference. You know, he, he, uh, he pastored there for some years and he said it was very interesting to him. You know, it's, it's preaching, it's fellowship, but he, he said, it, he didn't say these, these are my words, these are like pass and review, what we do at boot camp, you know, the, 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 the men march past you. And he says, he said, I noticed in these men who are, are, are uh, launching churches, he says, these men were so much more developed than the group of men who refused. He says there's a, there's a marked difference, a change, a noticeable change. He says uh, the men, the two groups that passed before him, uh, the non-planting churches and the planting churches of the non-planting pastors and the planting pastors, uh, he said the planting pastors uh, have developed. Listen to me, church. This is what bothered me as I sat at the table with my friend. It's like, why can't we, why can't you, young man, Say, you know what, God, give me souls lest I die. God, help me to launch a church. Uh, God, put into me so I can put into them. God, use my life. It's, not, it's about kingdom interests. It's about the world in which we live. It's about our generation. It's about doing the will of God. See, these men broke through. 
the line of the Philistines, and they brought to David what his heart longed for. Yes, Pastor Mitchell, what does your heart long for? He's, you know, the thing you love about him, he is so focused. If you were around back when, when I got saved, you know, when our fellowship became a fellowship and we stopped being four square, you know why we stopped being four square? Because we wanted to launch churches. That's what it was all about. We, we pulled ourselves out of Foursquare. We actually paid our way out of Foursquare. It wasn't a pulling. It was a paying. We had to pay a lot of money to get out of Foursquare. And we got our own because Pastor Mitchell just wanted to launch churches. That is, the, that is this fellowship. It will always be this fellowship. And so you have, it's laid at your feet, young man, young pastor. You guys that are getting sent out tonight or Friday night, you're going into a foreign place. You're supposed to go in there and raise up men, preachers. You are, you are, the, you are the, the seminary. You are the school. You are the classroom. Your life. And it's our calling and it's our purpose. Amen. That's all I got. Amen. Brother.